everyone. Happy to see you here for week two in our series. Sticking around for that, so that's always good. This morning we're going to jump right in to our message because honestly as I was preparing with this series, this is one of the messages or topics in the message that I was dreading the most. And I was dreading it because it's difficult to give all of the information in one sitting. It's difficult to be kind of on the same page for our understanding uh, because there's a lot of different rabbit trails that we can go down, different scriptures that can bring out some yeah buts or what about this type of conversation. And it brings up good discussions and possible disagreements. So it's important to, to talk through some of this thi- these things. Find it similar to when we went on the series of the spiritual gifts in terms of understanding that we're not all going to have the same traditions or opinions or thoughts on what those passages mean. Um, But, you know, in every series, we try to at least define what we're talking about. We go through different definitions. We go through different understandings so that we can try to be on the same page, at least for portions of what we're talking through, and to try to gain some understanding. But as you go through some of these harder topics, you can easily get into legalistic attitudes. You can get into traditions that brush you the wrong way, and you begin to bristle back, or you can get triggered with some different stuff. Um, Things that, again, with your traditions that might get in the way, um, thoughts about letter of the law versus spirit of the law, trying to balance Old Testament teachings to New Testament teachings and how we then live out those teachings. So it can get kind of confusing. So as a church for today, I wanna attempt to separate out our understandings of rest and the Sabbath, but also how they go back together. So it's quite the challenge that we have set before us. You know, with so many different people in the room, if I were to simply ask, what is your understanding of rest? What is restful to you? I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of different answers. Because it's kind of an individual question pertaining to your preferences, to your tastes, what you like. And then when I say rest, you have to throw in your definition as well so that we can get some context. So our starting points can be different, but they also need to be, a, be voiced. And then when you get that understanding of rest and how you're describing it, you then will begin to build into this idea of what's called biblical rest, how rest is used in the Bible. And again, rest is used in a lot of different ways in the Bible. So what rest are we talking about? Again, context will help us with that. And that's going to be a process that we're going to go through over the next few weeks. You know, when I... I answer my own questions when I think of something that's restful or when I think of rest oftentimes I think of myself on a beach secluded from the crowds just listening to some waves maybe my favorite hunting spot in Ohio I envision that quite often just because of how peaceful it was maybe it's sitting in a hot tub listening to some classical music or some Enya and just relaxing You know, in those things that I described, obviously you can come up with other terms. Relaxing, enjoyable, fun. You can have other terms to understand rest. You know, when we go to define our terms, um, I found it pretty funny this week. Generally, uh, since our um, Truth Encounter message series that we did a while back, I went out and I bought 
Noah's Dictionary from the 1800s. And I simply went to it this week thinking, okay, I'm just going to copy down what it says about rest and move along. No. There was 14 different entries for the noun, 17 different entries for the verb. So I'm just like, I'm not typing all of that out. So instead, I'm just going to read some of this for you to give us some context of what, how he is defining rest. Rest is a cessation of motion or action of any kind, apical to any body or being, as rest from labor, rest from mental exercise, rest of the body or mind. A body that is, rest, is at rest is when it ceases to move. The mind is at rest when it ceases to be disturbed or agitated. The sea is never at rest. Rest means quiet, repose, a state free from motion or disturbance. It is sleep. It is peace. The final sleep or death. A place of quiet. Any place of repose. That on which anything leans or lies for support. In poetry, it's a short pause of the voice in the reading. In philosophy, it is the continuance of a body in the same place. It is the final hope. It is the gospel, church, or new covenant state in which the people of God enjoy repose and Christ shall be glorified. Then you move down to the verbs. It is to cease from action or motion of any kind, to stop. A word applicable to any body or being and to any kind of motion, to cease from labor, to be quiet or still, to be undisturbed, to be quiet or tranquil as in the mind, not to be agitated by fear, anxiety, or other passions, to sleep, to slumber, to lie, to repose, to sleep the final sleep, to lean, to stand on, to be satisfied, to acquiesce, to lean, to trust, to rely on, as to rest on man's promise. To continue fixed, to terminate, to hang, to lie, to be fixed, to abide or to remain with, to be calm and to be composed in the mind. So as we go through some of these rests, and I didn't read them all, but as you go through some of those definitions, you can understand some of the context. You can see the variance within the terms so that when people talk about rest, they can have different starting points. They can have different understandings of what they mean when they talk about rest. And when we talk about rest in the Bible, there's more than one use uh, in terms of how it's being used. So again, context will give you clues, and we just wanna be aware of how it can be understood. Now our other term, Sabbath. Off the top of your head, what is a Sabbath? Versus what is the Sabbath? Do you define them differently? Do you understand them differently? Because it should change based on the, the article that's used. You know, people will have varying opinions on the Sabbath or how to take a Sabbath. And today I'm gonna to focus more on the Sabbath versus taking a Sabbath because that's more of a, a restful break versus the Lord's Day. You know, we treat and call the Sabbath the Lord's Day, a day that we go to church or a day of rest. And then you throw in your traditions on top of that, and it can look very different. You know, as I've said before, I was raised in the Catholic Church. And we took the Sabbath very seriously. You went to church every Sunday. 
during school. We went once during the school week, and then you had to go on every day, holy day of obligation. Just in that phrasing, obligation. It was mandatory. You had to go to church on these feast days, on these days to celebrate. And if you willfully chose not to go on any of those days, it was considered a sin that you needed to confess and receive forgiveness for. Kind of seems like it can be legalistic. But then I come to the Protestant side of the aisle where the attitude is more come and go as you please. It's not really um, adhered to that well. You know, where perhaps church and keeping the Sabbath is an afterthought. It has no meaning. And honestly, when I first came over, I was put off by the lack of, rest, of reverence, keeping to the laws, keeping to what the word of God said. How flippantly we would just disregard it. Laws. I also brought with me a binder. Well, how many of you have ever seen this before? The church, every church, has bylaws. Different laws, regulations that are given that describe goings on of the church. And in our bylaws, it requires members to attend services. Do you know what our bylaws say in terms of keeping your membership in good standing? I'm looking at the elders, they're like, uh-oh. <laughs> it simply says regular attendance. Perhaps wisely not putting a number down to as make it somewhat legalistic. I was in one church where it was written down um, to keep your membership in standing 12 times a year, once a month. You know, I think about, it also says to be considered an inactive member, it's three months of willful absence. So how does church view the Sabbath? It's kind of an interesting question. Could depend on the time of the year and the weather of that day. Vacation schedules. What else, what better might be planned? I think as Christians, we don't always know what to do with some Old Testament teachings, things like the Ten Commandments. Do we follow them? Do they still matter? How do we balance that with a New Testament mindset of Jesus fulfilling the law? Now, regardless of your answer to that, it's something I think that you should ponder, but within the Ten Commandments, I think breaking the Sabbath is one that we're okay violating compared to the other ones. I mean, we feel bad or guilty when we take the Lord's name in vain or when we have an idol, we, we seek forgiveness for that. But do we ever do that for breaking the Sabbath? Or is it no big deal? So the challenge of this message is to express the seriousness of God's word while not being too legalistic in a way that eventually the Pharisees would fall into, but it rather... Preach it in a way that speaks the truth and leads us into a better walk with the Lord faithfully. So to give us a familiar starting point in terms of understanding the Sabbath, Webster simply defines Sabbath as to cease to rest. So again, perhaps understanding which entry of rest is meant there could help us with our understanding of the Sabbath. 
He goes on to describe the Sabbath this way. He says, the Sabbath is a day which God appointed to be observed by the Jews as a day of rest from all secular labor and employments and to be kept holy and consecrated to his service and worship. This was originally the seventh day of the week, the day on which God rested from the work of creation. And this day is still observed by the Jews and some Christians, but the Christian church very early began to observe Sunday as a Sabbath to worship God on the day that Christ was resurrected. Thus it became known as the Lord's Day. He goes on to say it's also an intermission of pain or sorrow, a time of rest. So I think that's kind of a a good description for us, a good interpretive description that Noah Webster gives us. To understand the Hebrew, the term rest and Sabbath have the same root in Shabbat, which basically means to cease, stop, to rest. And Shabbat has its roots also in the number seven, so it's connected to the seventh day. So this morning we're going to start in Genesis 2. If you have your Bibles, you can join me there. And we're going to read that first reference in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Beginning in verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Father, as we continue to go in this series, I ask that you would just continue to open up our hearts and minds to your truths. Help us in our moments of weakness. Help us in our moments that we would rather be in control rather than you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here in Genesis 2, we see the basic understanding of rest in terms of how God rested. And for him, he rested on the seventh day after he finished his work. This is the basic, basic understanding that we have. Now, It doesn't mean that when he rests, he just goes up, sits on his throne, and he's done with creation. He's transcendent. You guys just continue on doing whatever you're doing. You know, the Genesis continues to say that he walks with Adam and Eve. Jesus talks about how he is working because the Father is still working. So when we see resting here, it is tied directly to his creation because he created things, he was finished, and then he rested. And as he created things, he created things so that they would be self-replicating, right? So he's not out there still creating trees because he created trees with self-bearing fruit. Uh, He creates the order and the process for creation to be sustainable, to carry on. Now, I think when we talk about God resting, the the question that comes to my mind is, well, how does God rest? You know, does he go to a beach and sit down? Does he go enjoy a hot tub? What does God do for rest? Again, based on the context, understanding that he rested from creation, that he ceased, he stopped work. But then when we try to translate that same understanding into our own lives, what does that mean? Do I do no work? How do you define work? What is that supposed to look like? How can I cease completely of what I'm doing? I mean, did God just sit down and do nothing at all for that seventh day? 
We'll get to the no work thing in a moment, but I want you to ponder what that means in your own life. But let me give you a curtism, if I may. Sometimes you think of creation like a masterpiece, like an artwork. You know, and if you're painting something and you're working hard on it and you make that final brush stroke where it's finished, sometimes you just take a step back and you appreciate it. You have a sigh, you're just like, it's done, I can rest. You know, I, th- I think of that kind of mentality when I think of this, where ceasing from creation, you also have this enjoyment, this completion of the goal, the task that was at hand. You know, understanding how rest has multiple meanings. And with this illustration, you can then appreciate the work that you have done. So when you think about um, your week, do you ever take a step back and think, you know, it was a good week, got a lot done this week. I'm appreciative of everything that I was able to do. It was great. I feel good. I can take a rest. Or do you think, I didn't get everything I wanted to get done. I still have to-do lists. I still have this. I got to think about this next week. You know, we never give ourselves time to rest. We never appreciate the times that are given because our desks are piling up and because we have to-do lists that need to be done. Rest seems to be a foreign idea for our culture. You know, how often do we work seven days a week? How often are we working eight to ten hours a day plus drive time? Come home and what, wait, what awaits us? More work. Got to mow the lawn. Got to do the dishes. Got to take care of the, the kids. Got to make supper. Got to clean the house. Got to do the, hot, the house projects. Got to do the to-do lists. Work never stops. And then you add on to the fact that we're in a digital age. You get an email at nine o'clock, well, I, gotta, I just got to respond to this real quick. Phone call during supper. Sorry, honey, they really need me, me at the office. I got to answer this question real quick. Just five minutes, five minutes. Work follows us. How many of us work from home? I'm so blessed. I get to work from home. I roll out of the bed and right there's my desk. How convenient is that? You wake up and you just start sermon prep. Let me ask you this question. Let's say you leave your job, or God forbid, or God blesses, however you want to look at it, you pass away today. How quick would your employer fill your position? How long would your family miss you? You see, our priorities of trying to give everything to our families, except ourselves, has hindered us. And that needs to change. And maybe there's a demand for more stuff, keeping up with the Joneses type of attitude that require us to work more and more and to gain more and more of worldly things. As adults, as parents, we pass that type of mentality down to our kids as they see us. They might understand that we work hard, that we provide what we can for our families, but they also say, Daddy's never home. Mommy never has time for me. And I I think as parents, we have those thoughts that plague us. You know, the reason why we work so hard is because we're putting food on the table. The reason why we work so much is because we're providing for our family to try to give them everything that we never had. Never really understanding the importance of rest and simply being present. Understanding the benefits that rest brings. 
See, what God mentions here in Genesis is not a normal rest. You know, when you look at how it's described here, it wasn't just a pause, it wasn't a good night's sleep, it wasn't a vacation. God blessed this day and he made it holy, meaning he set it apart from the other days. He set it apart from common things. It should stand out. To bless something is to give something. To be holy is to be separate. So God is giving to his creation a day by separating out the busyness, by separating out the work to give rest. The Sabbath and the rest is a gift from God. And as a gift is given, it is to be received. We have to take it. We have to appropriate it. We have to use it. You know, there's a big difference from just taking a break and observing the Sabbath. While we understand that it is a holy day unto the Lord, that it is a grace and a gift from Him, this might be a first barrier that we have to cross and deal with in our walk in terms of understanding rest and what that means in our lives, to understand a true Sabbath rest. Let's turn over to Exodus 16. I don't have a slide for this one because it's a longer portion of Scripture. Exodus 16. I'm going to pick up uh, in this wilderness journey in verse 13. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given to you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it. Each of, each of you as much as you can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. <clears throat> and the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as they could eat. And Moses said to them, let no, no one leave any of it over till morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun got, grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. So they laid it aside till morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. 
And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now, I started with this passage before going to the law for a reason. I want you to be able to see and connect how with the Sabbath, the Lord's provision is tied to it. I want you to see how the Lord provided for his people even before it was given as a law. And you still see how many people went out on the seventh day to collect manna. Why would they do that? God commanded them not to do it. Why would they do it? Why do any of us disobey the commands of God? Because of our own selfishness? Because of our own greed? Our own desires and gain? Hopefully we see some similarities between ourselves and the Israelites. Jesus' prayer. Give us today our daily bread. Has a strong connection to the wilderness. Maybe not a strong connection to us who have fridges, freezers, pantries, and shelves full of food. To be able to tie to, to the Lord and the understanding of Sabbath that he is our provider on a daily basis. When we can survive on our own for a month, six months, depending on how well we've prepared. To understand how God meets our needs daily means that we can put our trust in him. Our trust to not work seven days a week, but to rest one, one of them. And that can be difficult because anxiety can creep up. How will I pay the bills? Work needs to get done. What am I supposed to do? Just sit down all day? I can't sit still. Then maybe you work a job that requires you to work on Sundays. What do you do then? Well, you know, you think about the actual Sabbath. You think about the Jews today. They still celebrate the Sabbath being Saturday. You know, coming from a person who works 48-ish Sundays a year, you have to do something a little bit different to understand how to take rests in the Lord. We'll get into that a little bit deeper as we go on. Let's turn over to Exodus 20. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So this is how the commandment's written. Um, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Now again, there is an extensive debate on what constitutes work. How do you define that? How do you understand that? Um, and then what someone then is able to do or not do on the Sabbath. 
If you recall with Noah Webster's interpretation, he added in secular work, um, allowing ministry, allowing serving others to still be a part of Sundays or part of your Sabbath. You know, when we think about um, the Pharisees, and when we went through the Gospel of Luke, we saw how the Pharisees were putting a bunch of other different regulations on the people. They were adding these burdens onto the people, um, and it wasn't necessarily in the spirit of the commandment, in the spirit of the law. But they were trying to define it out, trying to, to such a minutia, control the events of that day. And it became a burden for the people. So it was, it's, it was really difficult for them to understand what constitutes work. And even people today, you know, as people want to honor the Sabbath, as they want to try to separate it and keep it holy, they will make various decisions for themselves and their family. Um, you know, I've seen it and heard it, you know, we don't go out to eat on Sundays because it causes someone else to work. Or we make our meals in a crock pot the night before so that, you know, it'd be very limited work. Or I just push a button and let the machines do the work for me, whether that's a dishwasher, a laundry machine, whatever it might be. You know, so work kind of has changed over time with technology. And there's many different versions and ideas of how people treat the Sabbath. For all of those considerations and considerations for yourself and your own family, I simply will just say, pray about it in terms of the convictions that you get from the Spirit. Try not to make things too legalistic, meaning don't go out and demand that others treat the Sabbath in the same way that you do and demand that you in, they interpret it the same way. But rather, through prayer, through practice, you can see what can work reasonably for you and your family and what cannot. You know, the overall purpose of the Sabbath is to honor, to worship, and to glorify God as we rest in him. If people, if you or your family are trying to find loopholes, if they're trying to do things in secret, then it's becoming more burdensome rather than it is beneficial or helpful. Hiding things is never good. But as your convictions um, tell you what to do through your time in the word, through your time in prayer, follow it as best you can to keep the day holy, to keep the day set apart unto the Lord. You know, Christianity can be known as a set of rules. It can be known as advice for living, and it can get legalistic. But there is a deeper life to the Christian faith that gets missed a lot of times, that goes beyond just the rules, that goes beyond just the regulations, one that will sit at the feet of Jesus because of who he is and what he has done for us. To understand what he has done for us in terms of salvation, and we go to him because of that salvation. And we base our rest in him because he fills us with his spirit, with his truth, and with his word. Rest is about inviting us into that deeper relationship with God, communing with him, being in his word and in prayer, to take a Sabbath and to be filled with him. It's something that he seriously desires. And it's something that we need for ourselves. Let's turn over to Exodus 31. And we'll see some more instruction and an interesting warning. Exodus 31, beginning in verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses, 
you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day will be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So again, we see some of the the similar patterns there in terms of the no work, and then he adds in even profaning the Sabbath. Profaning means to pollute, to dilute, to break, to treat as common, to desecrate. So again, how do we treat the Lord's day? You know, and this is one of the passages where people can get a little antsy with. Because when you read this, they're to be put to death. What do we do with that? You know, there's passages in Scripture like Numbers 15, verses 32, beginning there. While the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And Lord said to Moses, this man shall be put to death. All of the congregation shall stone him with stones outside of the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones, as the Lord commanded Moses. That's a fun passage. Maybe that should be a good reason to asphalt our parking lot so there's not so many stones out there. (laughs) Tanya, Tanya, I tell you. But you know, you look at this passage, and if people only read or understand this passage for their understanding of the Sabbath, you can see why, why it can be legalistic, because people fear death. But then you read this passage, and you think about your own life, and you think, okay, well, I worked last Sunday. I wasn't stoned. I didn't drop down dead. So what gives? Is the word of God true? Can I just do what I want? You know, I don't have a lot of good answers for this one. Because sometimes I think we wish that the Lord would be as heavy-handed now as he was back then. So that his word could be proven true in front of us. But I also think that oftentimes we believe that for those things that we're excelling at. And that he would just punish those heathens over there that aren't really following. But, you know, overlook what I'm doing Overlook my failings, overlook my disobedience, but make sure you punish them. Again, oftentimes we're interpreting scripture based on what we already do, what we already believe, and we want our disobedience overlooked. You know, even though we don't see stonings in the streets today, it doesn't doesn't make it right. It is still wrong to violate what God calls holy, and we need to understand that. 
and we need to take that seriously. I view this type of passage similar to another part in Genesis 2 where God says, in dying you will surely die. You know, Adam and Eve did not drop down dead right there as soon as they took the bite of the fruit. And I have a strong belief that absence from the church, disregarding the Lord's day, continuing or not continuing to meet with the body as the word describes, kills your faith in strong ways. Not that church is perfect or a cure-all by any means. We are all broken and we all make mistakes. None of us is perfect. But when there's not an emphasis on worshiping and celebrating the Lord, when there's not an emphasis on resting in Him, then you're probably preoccupied with worldly things and worldly gain. We're preoccupied with our own interpretations and living out the faith that we want to live out because it makes us comfortable. Understanding passages that speak to what we're already doing and avoiding passages where we're failing, where we're being disobedient, when we're being sinful. And you know, when we reflect on that in our life, as we're not taking time in our life to celebrate the Sabbath and to rest biblically, I also find that we're working ourselves to death. You know, if we're constantly go, 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 and we don't rest, then our body begins to shut down and break down, to fail in many ways, perhaps leading to an early physical death. Again, speculation, but you see patterns of that throughout history. Perhaps you see patterns of that in your own life in terms of stress levels, heart attacks at young ages, medical issues, so forth and so on. Again, when we violate what God calls holy, it bears consequences. Consequences that we don't think we deserve, but in reality, we deserve so much more. I also think it's interesting to see what Moses did there in Numbers 15. He inquired of the Lord's will in this matter. You know, even though prior in Exodus 31 and Exodus 35, it says the guilty party should be put to death. Now, maybe this was happening around the same time. Um, because again, we like to think of things in linear ways. Maybe Moses was just inquiring what type of death needed to happen. Maybe he was inquiring of the Lord because he understands that the Lord is great and merciful. How many times already did God say, I'm going to wipe out this people? And Moses prays to them and said, Lord, don't do that. For your name's sake, don't do that. And God, it could have been one of those repent of your sins or die type of moments. But as Moses goes to the Lord, he inquires of God's will. And I think that's something that we all need to do in our lives a little bit more often when it comes to his holiness and understanding his commands. Because at times, people will use something like this as a club. They'll use passages like this to demand adherence to the law. See, if you don't obey the law, you're going to die. And it becomes a very legalistic attitude behind it. On the other side of the aisle, you have people that think, well, Christ fulfilled all of the Ten Commandments. He fulfilled the law, so I don't need to, I don't need to adhere to them. I don't need to follow them. Again, it's funny how it's usually this command that's easy to violate, but maybe not so much the murder one. We'll keep that one involved because I don't want people just going around killing everyone. But, you know, 
violating Sabbath, it's not that big of a deal, right? Are we the judge at the weight of God's word? Or is God's word the judge of us? We try to make excuses all the time. We try to make ourselves look better when in reality we all fall short. So I think having a holy reverence for the commands of God and the Lord remains important. And we see that consistency throughout all of Scripture. You know, it doesn't just apply to the Ten Commandments. It applies to all of the commands in God throughout Scripture. But again, we tend to just elevate those that we do well and skip over those that we're failing in. Perhaps another roadblock that we have to, or barrier that we have to address as we dive into what it means to rest in the Lord, to rest in his word. And for today, I want us to start with the Sabbath. But also know that there are many other areas of scripture that we're overlooking, that we're disregarding the commands of the Lord where we're profaning his holiness. You know, through the early teachings of the Sabbath, the Israelites were not, or they were given instructions that would draw their hearts and minds to the Father to understand that he is providing for them. To give them an opportunity each week to understand that he provides, that they can place their trust, that he would provide for the food that they need for one day a week. They would be able to affirm the goodness and the trustworthiness of God, and it turned into a lifelong process of being able to trust him. I don't think it's too different for where we might find ourselves each and every day. But when we think about rest, I think many times we don't rest because we're not trusting that everything is gonna be okay. We're not trusting that God has this. We're not trusting in the faithfulness and the goodness of God. Instead, we're saying, I'm really my provider. I need to go out and make a name for myself. I need to go out and do this. I need to do it in my own power, my own selfishness, my own gain so we don't rest and we show that we don't really trust God. The Sabbath allows us a day to put our practices or to put to practice what we say we believe, to praise him, to worship him, to glorify him for who he is and what he has provided. Lauren Winner says, practicing spiritual disciplines does not make us Christians. Instead, the practicing teaches us what it means to live as Christians. And for us to live as Christians means for us to honor and glorify and magnify the name of the Father and the Father alone. So today, I want us to see how part of the biblical rest, again, only touching on certain areas of the idea of rest today, but part of this is trusting in him as our provider. And when we take time to acknowledge all that he has done for us and to worship him for that, it can benefit us in great ways. And for people who, like me, who work on Sundays, it's kind of a mixed thing to where I can come in and I can worship and I can pray and I can be in touch with the Spirit. But there's also conversations that need to happen. There's also things that need to flow. There's also work that needs to be done. So while I can worship God on Sundays, it's not always restful on Sundays. So I need to schedule in other times throughout the week to make sure that I get that rest. But of course, weeks fill up. We're busy. You know, most people work during the work week, and that's when everybody can be busy. As pastors or as service industry might tell you, sometimes you're open seven days a week, and you have to fulfill those obligations. So again, you have to be a lot more intentional to find that time. 
As a pastor, I've always tried to uh, look at what Jesus did with his disciples. And we'll be getting into this in upcoming weeks, but many times he would just find times of periodic rest. He would force his disciples and say, go rest. Whether that's early in the morning before people get up, whether that's late in the evening, he would get in a boat, go away into a hill place and try to get away from the crowds to rest in the Father. Being intentional about getting away from the busyness of life. But again, things fill up quickly. So we have to be intentional with that. We have to place good rhythms in our life to incorporate that rhythm of rest. And again, within this series, as I said, there's a lot to go over. And we're going to be touching bits and pieces on it. We're going to be building off of different weeks. So I encourage you to come each week through this series. Hopefully you can gain in your understanding. Hopefully you can find some rest in the Lord. Um, And this week, I just want you to, to dive a little bit deeper in terms of how you are treating the Sabbath. How do we understand that it is a day that is blessed and a day that is holy? And how are we living that out in our lives? Next week, we'll still be on the Sabbath a little bit, but we're going to address it from Jesus' point of view and the Pharisees' um, charges against Jesus on how he treated the Sabbath. So hopefully you can join us for that as well. Let's pray. Father, as we approach some hard things in our life, when we take a a good hard look at how we're living, um, Lord, I just pray that you would continue to show us through your word what your commands are, what your truth is, and, and what it is that those areas that maybe we need to do a little bit better in. Father, I pray that we would be able to spend some time in prayer and in your word to have some serious convictions about Sabbath, about what it means to rest in you, to put our hope and our trust in you. And Lord, as we talked about last week, that 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 rest is not filled with just entertainment or forms of escape, but rather worship, praise, magnifying you and celebrating you for who you are and what you've done. Lord, I thank you for the creation that you have given us. Thank you for the rest that is a part of that. Lord, I pray that we can take hold of that in our lives as we're going through hardships as we're going through trials as we have heaviness on our heart that we can seek our comfort and healing in you that we can find rest not burdens not anxiety not fears but truly resting in your love and the salvation that you have given us through Jesus We praise you today. We worship you today, and we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.